Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreamer Talks. My name is Abby Volkovich, and I'm your host. It is my job on this podcast to introduce you to dreamers from many different fields and walks of life. It is important to note that we can learn many things from the people we surround ourselves with. This is why I have ventured out to interview dreamers who are willing to share their journey with us. Before we begin, if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, I want to give you guys a warm welcome. If you enjoy this episode, please make sure to send it over to your friends. They might also enjoy this podcast, and there are a lot of other interviews that I've done with other dreamers, so make sure to check them out as well. IDC Radio, 106.2 FM. Today, my guest is Jonathan Davis. Jonathan Davis is Vice President for the External Relations at the Interdisciplinary Center at IDC Herzliya, he is, is, which is Israel's first private university. Uh, he's also the head of the Rafael Recanati International School and is a member of the advisory board and then the International Policy Institute of Counterterrorism. Uh, Mr. Davis also serves as a lieutenant colonel in the reservists for the IDF spokesperson unit. Please fact check me in all of these uh, if I'm uh, saying any of these wrong. Um, Mr. Davis is also served in the paratroopers reconnaissance unit. Uh, he served in the Yom Kippur War and also in the first Lebanon War. And uh, there are many other achievements that uh, Mr. Jonathan Davis has uh, in his tool belt. And I encourage all the listeners to please go into the show notes of the podcast and I will give a link to all the wonderful achievements. And uh, yeah, without further ado, welcome, uh, Jonathan Davis. It's a pleasure to have you and honor Thank to have you, you on the show. Thank you very much for that uh, fantastic, uh, uh, what can I say, introduction. Uh, okay, so before I get into the general Dreamer Talks questions, you know, the um, the podcast has some general questions that I usually ask. I actually gave the opportunity for the students of IDC to ask some of their questions uh, yesterday. We proposed some questions on the Instagram Live, and uh, I have some students that would uh, like to pr- uh, ask you some interesting questions. Um, so right now, with Corona times, we're dealt with some difficulties in the educational world. And the first question that came up was, how can students in the RIS better interact with lectures, clubs, or activities within the IDC, um, being that they have maybe their schedule be during this, these activities? Is there any way that they can maybe merge and schedule themselves better? The- uh, well, it's it would be kind of difficult to uh, schedule for 7,500 people uh, a, an agenda or a schedule which would interact with all of the extracurricular activities uh, that would need a new app, maybe someone in the media lab uh, could invent something like that. They could get IP on it. They'd make quite a few million bucks uh, in an exit if they could if they could organize something like that. But in principle, um, usually uh, when you have extracurricular activities like the debating team or Model United Nations or the dance group. Yeah, there's or, so many. <laughs> or sports organizations and everything else, you just have to navigate in between... Uh, the dots uh, to the to the best of your ability. Right. I mean, uh, most people who study here are able to uh, deal with the extracurricular activities. I think, I think though that the uh, the mingling with uh, professors or lecturers 
or other students, I think that's very important during Corona, and that is, that is something under our control. It's under our control uh, by Zoom. Uh, those who live in the dormitories, by the way, uh, it's under their control because uh, they can go downstairs to Jerry's Coffee Shop and they can get themselves a nice cup of coffee and, uh, and some hummus, okay? Uh, but, uh, but actually, what they could be doing is also interacting with dozens of other people who I see downstairs. So on a personalized basis, mm-hmm. if someone is a little more uh, outward in their, in their personality, they could actually ask people where they're from, what's going right. on, and everything else. Uh, who's behind that mask? I mean, hopefully 100%. the people are wearing masks um, yeah. uh, down there <laughs> For sure. uh, near Jerry's. But so, so I think it, it, it's, it, it has to do with the person's personality, the kind of outreach. Right. The second thing that I would do is uh, the lecturers who do appear here on Zoom or the professors, mm-hmm. I would ask them questions and I would query them. Right. And I would uh, ask them uh, to uh, relate uh, different things. Right. I feel like right now with a platform over Zoom, uh, it might have been a challenge for people this not having the upfront conversation can maybe be daunting in a way. Uh, and perhaps people might be feeling, okay, I'm not going to unmute myself because I'm a little bit shy. And I, I agree with you completely. I mean, people in my class would agree that I'm usually the one always asking questions and interacting. And I feel pretty involved. So I, I agree with you completely that um, putting yourself out there, is, it, it do- doesn't just have to come from the school, you know, doing all these activities. It has to come from the, the individual as well. And also, I love the, what you mentioned about just talking to people downstairs. That was the main reason I, uh, I started this podcast. Uh, and I mentioned it to you earlier. I think everyone has something to offer. And I think all you need to do is you know, task the right questions and really be genuinely interested in the individual's background and story and what they maybe can offer you and you can offer them. And that, I think that's how wonderful friendships can develop. Well, I think, I think especially at a time like this, uh, you have to put your foot on the gas mm-hmm. a lot more. I mean, in, in normal situations where, uh, where our life is not around Zoom, you don't need to be so forward and inquisitive of who these other people are, okay? Uh, the, problem, the problem with these Zoom lectures is you can't really personalize, and some people are embarrassed, right. um, even though they don't need to be embarrassed. But, it's, but some lecture with 60 or 70 people isn't the place to start you know, interpersonal relations. Right. But there's other ways of making those challenges into opportunities um, in that even through Zoom, you can establish smaller groups. I was just talking to Josh. I was saying, do you guys have a, uh, uh, a group of South Africans on the WhatsApp? Okay. You can establish WhatsApp groups, okay, mm-hmm. according to interest, okay? Right. You could have a WhatsApp group on the debating team, okay? You could have a WhatsApp group uh, in the entrepreneurship club. That right. WhatsApp uh, club, I see the JLIC here, which is uh, an organization here which yeah. uh, observes Shabbat and uh, Friday nights and everything else. They've got a very serious uh, WhatsApp group, and they interact with each other. They start buying food for Friday night and advertise all kinds of things, and they speak to each other. For sure. Yeah, they, I think it's a matter for students that they just need to uh, know where to look. And if you are if you feel overwhelmed with all the different WhatsApp groups that are available, because I feel it at first when I saw all the things that IDC offer, it was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much. It's really taking the time that if you if you really want to dedicate uh, that time for yourself to be social and meet people and interact with people sharing your interests, then you have to dedicate the time to really sift through it and what you want to 
invest most of your time on. So and it, it, dep- it depends a lot on the individual. For sure. And there's always enough hours in the day to study and at the same time participate in, in uh, extracurricular activities, in my view. 100%. Amazing. Okay, now uh, that's an amazing answer. Thank you very much. Um, the next question is a bit more uh, general. What is your favorite film, your favorite movie? <laughs> My favorite movie, uh, I think Chariots of Fire uh, is one of my uh, favorite movies because I was a runner at the time and, and it had to do with a Jewish runner from, from, uh, in the UK and anti-Semitism. So I enjoyed that movie. Uh, other movies, um, I mean, there are some movies that had a big impact on my life. I mean, Exodus okay, had right. a big impact on my life. When I was a teenager, I think I saw... Uh, Exodus, so so that had an impact on my life. I think uh, there are some movies that have been made on the Holocaust, two or three of them, which have had a major impact uh, on my life. There's an Italian one, which I forget the name of. Uh, I think uh, Life is Beautiful. Life is Beautiful. Amazing movie, I, yeah. I really enjoyed that yeah. uh, film. Um, so and 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 Steven Spielberg's film um, about the Holocaust. Uh, he, he's got a couple, so I don't know uh, which one you're referring to. Uh, Forget the name of it, but th- those had a big. I right. think I think those had a big impact on me. Amazing. Uh, yeah. uh, and to follow up uh, to another medium, favorite book, uh, and also uh, why would be a great. I think the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think the Old Testament is my favorite book. Amazing. And the uh, prophets, I think those are uh, great uh, books to read. They're the they're bestsellers. They are bestsellers. <laughs> there, there are there are a million other books. You know, I, I mean, Dershowitz wrote some books about how to make the case for Israel, which, with which I thought were very interesting books. Um, there's some novels that I, um, whose names I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, all right, great. So those are some of the questions that. IDC students proposed for us, and uh, now I'd like to get to the regular Dreamer Talks um, content that I usually have. And I'd like to start out by maybe you sharing. Um, we we have the background that we can you know look up on either your LinkedIn, Wikipedia, but I really want to dig in a bit deeper and your background of when you maybe grew up and how you viewed the world uh, growing up, maybe our age or even before that. Well, I I went to high school in. Uh in Southern California in a small town called Wiscavina. I went to Edgewood High School. Edgewood High School had about uh, 2,000 students and maybe five Jews. So I was a very, very small minority and I kind of like had to uh, take care of myself. I was an observant Jew in this very, very small town with, uh, with mainly non-Jewish people. And so I experienced anti-Semitism in high school I think I got into at least two or three fistfights. Um, uh, at that time, I came out okay, actually, in those fights, which was amazing, usually with more luck than brains because uh, some of the guys were bigger than me. But uh, so I experienced that. And, um, and then uh, when I graduated high school, the Six-Day War broke out. And it had a huge impact uh, on me. Um, as a Zionist, and right. it got me very excited, and it made me realize that uh, I should be spending some quality time in Israel um, in the future. Mm-hmm. So I went back east to school to Columbia University, and I spent my freshman and sophomore year at Columbia. At Columbia, there were many more Jewish people. There mm-hmm. were synagogues all over the place, 
much more cosmopolitan situation Change than, of, uh, than, vibe. West, than West Covina, California. Yeah. Um, even though I really missed the Beach Boys and and uh, and the songs they sang about when it came to Southern California and surfing and freezing myself uh, to death um, in the winters of, of New York City. But uh, I had an opportunity to spend my junior year abroad right. um, at the Hebrew University. And that was a long time ago. And during my junior year abroad, I had a roommate, an Israeli roommate, who was a paratrooper. And every Shabbat, he used to take me to the old city to show me the different neighborhoods which he and his paratrooper mates uh, basically took over during the uh, Six-Day War and where they suffered casualties and everything else. And so, lo and behold, my parents and my siblings were rather surprised when at the end of the one-year program, I made an extremely Zionistically impulsive decision not mm -hmm. to come back to Colombia and to continue my studies at the Hebrew University where I graduated for my BA. And then, just as I graduated uh, from my BA, I enlisted into the IDF and got myself into a paratrooper reconnaissance unit, which at the time was a very elite unit. The whole unit could fit into a Sikorsky helicopter. At the time, it was pretty in to be in that unit. It's, it's called Sayeret Samhanim. Mm -hmm. uh, today, the Sayeret's much larger. Yeah. I think they're probably much better than we were, okay, in the, in the 1970s. Uh, but we were small, and 97% uh, of the unit was comprised of kibbutzniks. So there were 97% kibbutzniks, about five or six people from the city, and Jonathan Davis, okay, <laughs> who was a lone soldier, uh, the only one in Sayeret Samhanim, who was 22 years old when he enlisted, so the your fellow soldiers were all 18 19 right and they used to call me saba <laughs> my nickname was saba that's a grandfather for a grandfather. those that don't speak Hebrew. but uh <laughs> luckily i was a very good distance runner and i was able to uh when it came to physical fitness i was no less better than the 18 year olds that's incredible yeah i know there is a fair share of uh post lone soldiers at idc i'm actually i, I used to be a lone soldier as well uh, i was in nahal um, and I, I really connect with your story because it was very similar. I was on my gap year and also decided to make Aliyah. And uh, luckily for me, midway through my service, my family actually uh, decided to make Aliyah with me. So Where did you uh, make Aliyah from? So I'm originally from Mexico and then I moved to Canada. And so I made Aliyah from Canada. And What part of Canada was it? Toronto. Toronto? Yeah, Toronto. Did you go to chat? I did not. I actually went very similar in, in the background like yourself. I went to a public school. Yeah. Um, the ratio, I think we, we had a bit more of a Jewish uh, student body. Uh, but like your story, I also had some situations where there was anti-Semitism. Uh, I want to say on a much lower scale um, since it was much more uh, open environment. Uh, but yeah, it, I was in grade 12 while Tsukaitan was going on. Um, and that also in really encouraged me to want to really take this gap year. And then when I was on the gap year, I just told him. Which my, gap year was it? It was a gap year with Masa and with a Mexican group. So I actually wow. went back to my roots with a Mexican program. Cool. So yeah. you speak Spanish, English. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think to be on a gap year uh, can make a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially if you have uh, other friends who serving and, and telling you what's what's going on right and um 
my brother and sister till this day have, have not moved here and uh, and they do they, they do fine but uh, my 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 decision like yours was an individual decision um, based on Zionist values mm-hmm. uh, where I missed you know the NBA and the NFL and all those great things although I one couldn't dream in advance that everything would be on Netflix and on TV and and that you you would feel like you're actually in the stadium right. uh, when you can watch it today with today's technology and everything else For but, sure. but but when i made that decision you know there were no rice krispies in israel okay? yeah, he, when i made that decision there there were no uh, mars candy bars in, in, in the country right and there was uh, very little here uh, it was quite uh, there weren't even any cornflakes i mean the the milk used to come from these little uh, plastic bags and yeah, and, all kinds of <laughs> and if you wanted to make a phone call, you needed one of these tokens. And if you wanted to order a phone, a phone took seven years uh, before, oh, wow. before you could get one. So so at the time, uh, when I immigrated, there were maybe less than three million um, people in this country, right. including all the citizens of Israel, less than three million. But it was a more personalized kind of life. A friend was a friend. Neighbors spoke to each other, um, and there was uh, there there were great feelings. I mean, today it's different. Today it's different. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little less personal because we have so many more people in the country, mm-hmm. uh, but still some of the same values exist. And at IDC, we have uh, at least three hundred former lone soldiers. Right. Okay. So when I say that the values of today are are still part of the backbone of what was in yesteryear. Um, the fact that 15% of the Rafael Reconati International School are former lone soldiers, that says a, a tremendous amount about the human resource okay, of the students themselves um, in the RIS. Right. And the fact that about uh, 60% of them end up immigrating to Israel says a lot about those who have not yet served in the IDF. Um, and And there are a number of People, there are at least 150 people right now in the IDF who graduated the RIS, and after they got their RIS degree, went into specific units, tailored fre- to their degree. frequently yeah. tailored, like mm-hmm. the IDF spokesperson's right. office or external relations, for sure, intelligence units, um, other units. Mm-hmm. Of course, the French kids uh, would never go to those units; they would only go to Golani or Givati, and be in, in combat. In combat, okay. Uh, some of their parents sometimes used to say to me, you know. Can't you convince them to go to uh, the external relations unit? But uh, these are tough kids. It's these tough. kids, these kids from France are tough. They wanted to be in combat. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, I mean, you yourself were also in combat, and I think if maybe we could talk to that, uh, if you if you could maybe talk to the leadership skills and um, life skills that you might have taken from your service that you mm-hmm. can adapt to everyday life. Well, in, in, in my service, being in the kind of unit that I was, we did a lot of behind-the-line operations. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I learned is that you really have to train tremendously well, even overtrain, in order to do very, very well during those few windows of opportunity that you get to defend the state of Israel. And I think that, I think that some of the characteristics that come out of the IDF are discipline, mm-hmm. um, goal orientation that you're very focused on a goal and you want to achieve it i think values i think responsibility responsibility is extremely important you 
can't go into battle without being very responsible for yourself and making sure you're personally prepared and you have everything that you need uh, with you and on you and that you're ready uh, for anything. Mm-hmm. And I think leadership is extremely important. Um, and a lot, a lot of camaraderie also comes out of there because it ends up being all for one and one for all. Right. Um, you will do anything to assist your comrade in arms, uh, no matter what the situation is, uh, because you're, you're one unit and you're united and you know you're fighting for a, uh, a certain cause. I think that in civilian life, there's a great impact for those who, st- who served in those units mm-hmm. because civilian life is so much easier. And, and so, you know, here you can get a, from the simple things in life, like a hot shower or being able to get a decent meal you know, right. on the Iraqi-Syrian border, okay, um, 200 miles from here, you're, you're not going to get a catered uh, For sure, yeah. meal. And so all of these different things uh, make you into a person who I think appreciates the simple things in life. And I think in, our, in, in, in the way we work on a daily basis in, in our work, uh, if we answer emails quickly, if we're diligent uh, in what we do, if we, if we try to lead by example, mm-hmm. also in civilian life, and when you ask, let's say, your employees uh, to work hard, you need to be seen to, work, to, be, to be working harder than they are, mm-hmm. okay, in order to convince them to be part of that team. So I think all of these things uh, have to do with, uh, with leadership skills. And, and, and I think that modesty is also a good idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, modesty is also a good idea. I mean, we, um, especially when you're in those units, you, uh, you're meeting people from all different kinds of walks of life. Mm-hmm. And, I think that's something beautiful about the, the uniform, that, you know, you take people from a kibbutz, uh, you know, the rich neighborhood in Tel Aviv, and suddenly they're all together and fighting for this unified goal. And I, I just remember... Uh, I think it was last week I actually met up with my Tsevet and we were all in our civilian clothes and suddenly you you see different characteristics of how people dress uh, and you know they, how that's how they express themselves but we're used to seeing each other with no hair and just the uniform so yeah I, I completely connect with that that it, yeah it, I think it's um, I think it brings everyone uh, everybody's equal you know my my commander my commander in my unit my menpe the commander of the of the uh, of that very small unit uh, called Seretz and Khanim was was uh, Captain Shal Mufaz. Shal Mufaz later became the Minister of Defense in this country. He's a past Chief of Staff in the, of, of this country. But a, a person like Shal Mufaz, who immigrated here from from Iran, I think at the age of eleven, whose uh, parents were quite poor, of a lower socioeconomic uh, situation. And his parents sent him to boarding school in Nahalal, let's say, okay, where he was with a whole bunch of other people who came from a much higher socioeconomic scale and probably a lot more people who were not of the ethnicity, okay, that he was. Mm-hmm. And he could have uh, felt frightened there or he could have felt insecure there. But I guess he turned those challenges into opportunities mm-hmm. and picked himself up by the bootstraps had to do uh, officers, officers. Uh, he tried out to become an officer three different times until he got in. Mm-hmm. 
And he worked hard for it. But here's this guy who became the chief of staff of the IDF, became the minister of defense, and he was the minister of, of defense during the Intifada and did a great job. So, so basically, you never know all of those people right. who are in uniform. They're all given an equal chance. Amazing. They're all given an equal chance. I, I love the idea, for example, that we have a Jewish community from Ethiopia right. that immigrated to Israel. We have 50 Ethiopian students um, on this campus. Every single one of those Ethiopian students was practically an officer in the IDF. They're here on a special program. They're great. Okay. One of those students uh, last week, named Eden, achieved a Rhodes Scholarship. That's incredible. Okay. And it's the first time in the history of IDC Herzliya that anyone ever achieved a Rhodes Scholarship. And last year, only two Israeli citizens achieved those scholarships. So here is someone like Eden, who probably would be very embarrassed that I'd be speaking about her right now. <laughs> she was also on, on the Argov program, which is an honors program, and, right. and also with fantastic grades. But here's another situation, right. like Mofaz, okay, where a person takes all the challenges of coming into a society, but turning the challenges into opportunities. And by the way, the other Ethiopian students on this campus uh, when they've graduated, the, the alumni, many of them are in key positions in the foreign ministry and the ministry of defense. Some went back to the army to, for, for permanent service. Mm -hmm. Others are civil servants um, in the Israeli government. Others are top accountants and lawyers All right. and, uh, and, and others in the communications fields and everything else. No, no, I, th so, I think you bring up a really good point of uh, the starting grounds. You know, we, we never... A lot of times we like to compare ourselves to maybe, maybe people who are ahead of us and more successful, but we never take that moment to look back and say, oh, actually, like the point where I've started in, in my life, uh, I'm privileged in this way and that way. Once you actually, you know, do that self-reflection and realize the, the blessings that you have, it I think can be very empowering to then move forward. And vice versa, on the flip side, like you said, when you have these things that are missing, it's always a matter of perspective, right? If you look at it as a challenge and beat yourself up, like you mentioned, uh, with the two examples, you can easily, you know, just stay in that hole and and feel, I guess, bad and, and, and go into a, a, an even darker hole than you are currently. Or you can see it as an opportunity to grow and move forward. And uh, I don't know if you have any techniques or tips that you could maybe provide for students that are in either of those points whether they they are missing something and and feel like they they are under um developed in what they have or people who have it all and you know need that slap in the face to be like you have it just do something with it i don't know if you can talk to those two points well i've never had it all but um because i came from a relatively uh lower middle class family mm-hmm Otherwise, we wouldn't have been living in West Covina in the first place. We'd be living in Beverly Hills or in West L.A., where all of my friends from Camp Ramah were living. Okay, I mean, no one was living in the, uh, in the San Gabriel Valley. They were all living in the San Fernando Valley or, uh, or in L.A. In, 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 in decent neighborhoods. Uh, but, I, but I would say that uh, when, you, uh, when you're a have-not, I think it's important to take yourself where, where your heart takes you uh, go into hobbies, okay, that you really like. I, like, for example, I really enjoyed speaking. 
So I was on the debating team in high school, and I was in the speech club. And I, and I developed all kinds of skills on how to present myself and how to present my case and everything else. I think, I think it's a good idea to, to try and go after specific skills. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think sports are a fantastic outlet for mm-hmm. achieving excellence and for making good friends who will respect you for how you succeed in sports, not based on what neighborhood you, you came from, but based, but, but based on the excellence. So mm-hmm. I think on a, so, so I think that it's a very good idea to try and find extracurricular activities where you can, where you can achieve a lot. Mm-hmm. The other thing is uh, during your studies, um, you can just decide that you're going to take certain courses which you really love or certain things you really want to delve into academically in high school, um, at university, and excel in those things. Right. When you excel in those things and make a great impression, no one's going to look at the per capita income of your parents. Right. You know, they're going to look at how successful you are as a person or how good you are as a person. What kind of values, okay, mm-hmm. uh, do you have? Those are things which, uh, which I think that people who are coming into this world with, uh, with less, I think uh, is a good idea for them to, to shine try in. and achieve. Mm-hmm. Those who come with too much, and there are, there are one or two people that, uh, who I've met who, who were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, mm-hmm. um, it, they, in my opinion, need, they need to prove that they're not better than someone else. Right. Okay? And they need to prove that's where that the humility comes in. Yeah. They're where humility and modesty comes in. Mm-hmm. And I think that they need to be able to prove that, uh, that they're also going to study hard, mm-hmm. even though they may inherit a lot of money afterwards, okay, uh, one day. And so they need to prove themselves personally and not rely on some uh, socioeconomic background that they may have right. been spoiled with over the years. So someone went skiing three times a year while another person was. Uh, not right <laughs> okay uh 100%. you know i mean uh, you need to translate all those great benefits that you had in life because you were lucky to be born that way um and try and find some egalitarian spot right of values where you can put yourself there because of a deserving factor and, and not... sacrificing for society mm-hmm. yeah. and all those things i don't i i, I mean i don't think that you need to Live in squalor, okay? You don't have to overdo it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think it's a good idea to fit yourself in from a sociological level into, into society, mm-hmm. not thinking you're better than someone because you happen to have inherited a lot of money, for example. Right. Because, some, people, because people, if they're not careful, they might have an attitude problem. Right. And they might think everything's coming to them. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so, you know, uh, that's 100%. that's uh yeah i love that two cents yeah. on that uh so now i'd like to transition uh to now the educational field uh you're now the head of the rris um this is a curveball question for you if you were now going to study at idc which degree that is offered uh would you take on and why first of all i would take on the degree which is closest to my heart and which I love the most, okay? So that I can study that and enjoy it. We're talking about an undergraduate degree, 
It's not the be-all and end-all. You're entitled with an undergraduate degree to study something you really love. Okay? Mm -hmm. I'll start with that. Number two, I would not be forced into studying something that I'm less interested in studying because someone in my family is very assertively pushing me to study something which doesn't interest me, which right. is, I think, also an important point. Mm -hmm. uh, thirdly, I think we need to be pragmatic. And uh, we have to look at where do we see ourselves in 10 years? In many cases, you don't really know where you see yourself in 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you do see yourself in 10 years, let's say, there are some people who know that they, they believe that they have entrepreneurial skills, okay? Right. And, uh, you know, they sold lemonade in third grade, you know, and they made a profit, okay? They invested in stocks when they were 16. They made a profit, okay? Uh, they, they're, they're entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So they can gauge to entrepre entrepreneurship and business, right. okay? There are other people who enjoy the business world, okay? Or there are sometimes people who want to go back and work for their parents' businesses, Mm -hmm. So maybe you want to study some business skills and finance and and right. to and, help and come back afterwards. Mm -hmm. Especially uh, uh, a number of students from Mexico, okay, who were studying mm -hmm. here. We have 25 students from Mexico here. Uh, you had uh, been in Mexico for a number of years. Uh, a number of those students studied here in order to gain skills to go back to Mexico and work with their parents. Okay, there are other people who believe who want to make the case for something. They believe that they're they they would like to be diplomats. Mm -hmm. uh, now, not everybody can become a diplomat, okay, because there, there are few and far between who get accepted for it. Mm -hmm. But let's say you could study government and diplomacy or government and sustainability. And, but at the end of that, you will have learned all kinds of skills in addition to diplomacy, where you can work in it for an international company, where you can work for a nonprofit, right. where you can do this or where you can do that. So, so it's very adaptable. Yeah. So, it's, so it's adaptable. I think a lot has to do with uh, the characteristics of the person and the personality of the person. But you can never go wrong by not forcing yourself to study something that you don't want to study. Right. I think that's a, very, that, that's a very important part of it because while you're studying what you love to study on an undergraduate level, because the studies here are very interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. So if you're studying, let's say, government, you're also going to study microeconomics and macroeconomics. Right. And you might all of a sudden find, while you're studying government, that uh, that economics and business interest you a lot more than you thought they would. Mm -hmm. Okay, then you can uh, gauge your electives to take more business courses. Right. Then you could do a graduate degree mm -hmm. in business. You could you could try and do an MBA, finish some prerequisites, and go for an MBA, and change and and change the goal. Uh, completely. Yeah, I think that's a, the, you bring up a really good point that life, I think, is very organic in that, in that sense. And I feel like back in the day, people would be like, okay, I'm studying this degree and I'm going to become that profession, whatever that degree is. And I don't know if you can maybe talk to that, that our world is changing, right? You, you have to evolve with, um, you mentioned what you want to do, right? And I think it's very important that a lot of people kind of go blindly into something and without actually exploring those extracurricular um, drives that really p bring them passion and, and drive. And I think it's it, those, if, if anything, those should be one of the main things people should focus on because then they know 
what they want to focus on for a career and then what they want to develop. Um, so I don't know if you can talk to how... Look, if you're, if you're, if you're very successful in model, in model United Nations, okay, mm-hmm. in standing up and representing a specific country, or if you're very successful in, in, in a debate, and, or, or if you're very successful in so many other clubs here uh, that exist on campus, you have a passion for it, you have a love for it, frequently that has an impact on your career uh, no less than your academic studies, no less than your academic studies do. It's a combination of factors. Many times, because you're in these clubs, you're networking with people. I just spoke to a young woman the other day who did a master's degree, uh, who did her undergraduate studies here in counterterrorism and her, uh, her master's degree in counterterrorism as well. Okay, She's now uh, in a startup company that's that's dealing with security aspects of uh, of of various companies right. with regards to computer skills, mm-hmm. which isn't which isn't counterterrorism per se, but there were all kinds of different uh, there's all kinds of different background which he was able to glean from studying the counterterrorism, mm-hmm. which may be the first cousin of someone who wants to break into to someone's uh, computer and steal information. And so all of these things, all of these things uh, have an impact. So you may study one thing, but end up being something which is the first cousin of it. Mm-hmm. That's the advantage of interdisciplinary studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in, look, in 10 years from now, uh, the world is going to be a lot more, um, obviously there will be a lot more robotics, digitalization, and everything else. And some people who want to study business uh, but let's say are not good in mathematics, and they're not be able they're not going to be able to uh, cut the mustard in in, in 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 business per se because of the uh, rigorous mathematics courses mm-hmm. or practical things they have to study there, which which they're just not good at. Mm-hmm. But they can go, let's say, and study communications and uh, focus on interactive skills, let's say, and focus on how the internet is going to look in ten years from now. And you're going to find that every business is going, to, is going to need a fantastic chief communications officer. Right. No less than some heavy person in business who studied finance. Okay. So a person who takes the cluster of, uh, of innovation and entrepreneurship, let's say in the third year of, of communications, mm-hmm. um, is going to find that they may be even better suited for what's going to happen 10 years from now from someone who's studying classic business. Right. So, so you, it's, so, so it's very important to also study things where, where there's creativity and imagination. Mm -hmm. And once more, I, you know, I I know some people who want to study business and economics because they know they want to do research in a bank one day Mm -hmm. that they, they enjoy doing that. They, They love that. And they're all whiz kids when it comes to mathematics. Otherwise they wouldn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, and so people come from d- different backgrounds. People come from different clubs in high schools. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I think you need to follow your heart. Right. Yeah, even those kids, it's, they're doing it because they, 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 they want to they, be doing it. They want to be doing yeah, it. Yeah, they're enjoying it. I think that's what it comes down to. And if, if you – I want to now address the listeners, and I think you'd agree with me that if you don't know what that is, that, it, that really – uh, lights you up and that you want to be doing, then try many different things to then 
be able to figure out what you really want and what you want to be doing. Because if not, then you're just kind of gliding. Or come to study at IDC Herzliya because <laughs> come to study at IDC because because each of the degrees is is designed in an interdisciplinary way. They give you a taste of different things. Right. They give you a taste of different things, and sometimes you never really tasted the other thing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you see you're in love with something that you ever didn't know you were going to be in love with. Right. Amazing. Okay, well, I want to transition now um, back to the title of the podcast, uh, Dreamer Talks. Um, if you could maybe share with us uh, a dream that you once had and maybe went full out on it, or a dream that you have currently now that you are working on or would like to pursue. A dream, okay? I mean, I, I think my whole immigration to Israel was was a dream, okay? Um, mm-hmm. When I was very young, okay, I, uh, when I, when I, after I saw Exodus and after I read the book of Exodus and after, after I saw the Anne Frank play mm-hmm. and learned about the Holocaust and, and these different things, I envisioned myself one day fighting in some sort of a Jewish army and, and, and defending the Jewish people. What's that sense of uh, achievement that you got once? Because you had that dream when you were growing up, like you said, all these plays, all these books, movies. Once you actually get to that point, how do you feel when you've reached this, this dream that you once put on a pedestal? What's that sensation I like? I think you, uh, first of all, you pinch yourself to actually ask yourself if this is happening. You know, so, you know, when you're at the Western Wall and you're swearing into the paratroopers, you know, or when you get your wings or when you get your uh, special Sayeret wings, you know, all these different things, you're, you know, you, you, you flash back uh, to the childhood mm-hmm. and you're saying, wow. Um, and there, there may have been some people who didn't believe in you as much. Mm-hmm. And didn't think you could achieve this, as well. So, so sometimes it's also, you know, some some people may have laughed at your dreams. Right. I remember before I before I immigrated to Israel, a few people who who weren't immigrating to Israel were saying to me, "You're not going to last there for more than six months. It's, this is going to be too difficult for you. Uh, life is too good in the United States, etc., etc., etc." Yeah. So it's also a little bit of uh, well, I told you so. Right. That the people who didn't believe in my dream. What I told you so, and I, 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 I kind of I connect with that fully, but also I, I want to say that it's also a t- a t- I told you so to myself, right? Because mm-hmm. when when those people tell you like, oh, it's too hard, or you you're not gonna last, I, I feel like a, a certain this is at least for me, right? A, a certain percentage of of my being was like, oh, I hope they're wrong. Like you're still unsure and still think until things happen. You know, and, and I, I saw it in a different way in many of those situations, mm-hmm. even though some of those people shared my values, they weren't willing to make the sacrifice. I don't judge them personally. I don't judge them personally, but I think a lot of the so-called constructive criticism, okay, of how I'm not going to last here for more than uh, six months had to do with their own rationalization mm-hmm. that they're not doing it. So if they're Got not it. doing it. If they're not doing it, maybe someone else can't do it. So Got there's it. two ways. Uh, there's two ways to right. flip this coin. You know. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. I mean, uh, you know, there's heads and tails here, <laughs> um, or yeah. a combination of both. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, I mean, it's organic, so I think it, 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 it for sure is a combination of both, and it just depends on what you look at. You know. I think the fun is the fun is that uh, people that you went to high school with, mm-hmm. 
or that you went to university with in the United States, you meet them 40 years later, 45 years later, you come to very successful ones. Um, and you ask them if they can help uh, um, support IDC. It's easier. It's easier for uh, it's easier for me to it's easier for me to do that um, when when you read when you set dreams that were so high in their I eyes. Pe people are sometimes interested in hearing how those dreams uh, turned out forty years later. Right. And I'm interested in hearing how their dreams turned out forty years later. But I find that I I find that I have a mission to try to bridge where they are now uh, with the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like I invested in this company. I want them to invest as well, even though they live so many miles away. 100%. Um, all right. Well, now transitioning from, from one of your dreams, uh, if you have any advice for students of IDC or in general, just listeners of the podcast um, where they have a dream of theirs and they're kind of lost in the first steps on what to do to really achieve it. Um, if you have any points on that, I think it, it depends what kind of dream they have. If, it, if, it, if it's an entrepreneurial dream or if it's a an academic dream, I, I think it's a very good idea to seek coaching. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very good idea to seek uh, some people with wisdom who can give them advice mm -hmm. and and uh, help them to cultivate cultivate them along the way uh, to help uh, implement the dream. And uh, in order to implement the dream, uh, I think it's always a good idea to do to to do things above and beyond what you thought you were capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was some professor who you were afraid to approach and and get into a conversation with. You shouldn't be afraid. Mm -hmm. You should initiate. Go past that discomfort. Yeah. Go past the dis the the discomfort zone. Um, and also interact, and also network, mm -hmm. and also make as many connections as you can with other friends who might help you achieve that dream. Because really good friends of yours will want you to achieve the dream. Right. And not everybody overseas said to me, I'm not going to succeed here. A lot of people said, wow, we take our hats off, you know, mm -hmm. where, you know, we, we wish you the best of luck. Right. You know, uh, some, some said, you know, we, we, we always know you were a crazy Zionist. And this is where your heart takes you, let's say. Okay, so it's the same with other dreams uh, that, that people may have. You want to be around people who encourage you. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be around people who I told you so. Right. Okay. You want to achieve a dream, you have to be ready to fail three or four times along the way, okay, before you achieve that dream. What were some maybe techniques to pick yourself up from those failures? Well, you pick yourself up by the bootstraps because you... Be, because of goal orientation, because you so believe in that thing, mm -hmm. okay, you you run into you run into a wall, you try to go around the wall, okay, try to go, don't keep hitting the wall, go around the wall until there's the next wall, and next time there's a wall, maybe you'll go around that one, and maybe after that wall, you've achieved your goal. So uh, uh, life is uh, full of ups and downs, mm -hmm. it's full of ups and downs, um, and sometimes you make mistakes. And, uh, but, uh, but at the end of the day, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in yourself and you're surrounded by people who believe in you, um, you can achieve practically anything. That's why we gave the example of those two individuals 
right. uh, at the beginning of this podcast, um, who, when they were 15 years old, okay, were thinking... Yeah, they never imagined. This, this is going to be impossible, okay, mm -hmm. to achieve. So um, th that's the way I'd look at it. Incredible. Incredible. Well, I, I think uh, I, I'd like to just ask um, if you were to be talking to yourself um, when you were 18 years old today, what advice would you give yourself knowing the way life panned out? Um, marry someone who shares the same values as you and who you can really identify with and respect. Uh, that's extremely important because uh, 45 years later, with eight grandchildren, um, an 18-year-old wouldn't know that, but it's but it's very important before you get married to assess, to assess carefully, weigh the assets, weigh the liabilities. Okay. And 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 during a marriage, okay, deal with the ups and downs, deal with the ups and downs, and and that's some advice that I would that I would, that I would uh, recommend. But, uh, you know, the, the youngsters on this campus haven't gotten married yet, even though I've been recently invited to a wedding of two very fine individuals from Latin America who are uh, getting married here. Both of them are from the RIS. We have a lot of RIS weddings here, by the way, dozens of them over the years. Um, so it's a good idea to know who, who your partner is, um, What advice would I give an 18-year-old um, when you're at university? Um, explore as much as you can. Investigate as much as you can. Um, don't just, don't only focus, okay, on your grades. Your grades are important, but, but there's life outside the classroom um, also. Mm -hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of what you explored and investigated in life over the years is going to have a much greater impact than the grades only. Uh, you can't flash your GPA 10 years after school. It's no right. longer relevant. It's relevant to get into a good graduate school. It's relevant for other things, but the social interaction, the friendships, the values, helping in those in society who have less than you, you're allowed to take the time to help someone who has less than you. You're allowed to uh, tutor some, some, some youngster from Herzliya from a poor neighborhood here right. and teach them English, okay? Things like that, uh, I would say there's a, huge, there's, a, there's a huge menu of things that you have options to uh, partake of. Mm -hmm. Don't just come here and only study, and only be in the books. Right. Try to be well-balanced because you never know which part of the jigsaw puzzle here had, had the biggest impact on you at, at the end of the day. Right, and no, I think that's very crucial because a lot of times it can be very uh, 
daunting. Uh, as a student, I feel a lot of times that, you know, I'm okay, now I'm doing only studies and, you know, now I barely have time for family. And I, I really, I'm, I'm really absorbing this, uh, this advice that you're giving because I think it is very important to have that balance. Um, I read, I can't remember the exact name of the person, uh, but they, they say that there, there's the pillars of a, of a happy or successful life was uh, health, wealth, love, and happiness, right? And you have to equally invest in all of those for your own life and balance them accordingly. Um, it, it could be, you know, directly on your Google calendar, uh, but really invest that time to then actually be able to. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I should do also some self-criticism for the very simple reason that I, I'm a workaholic. Mm -hmm. So frequently, I, I, uh, I have to remind myself that there's a balance. Mm -hmm. I frequently have to remind myself that when you want to answer 200 emails personally every day, and you you want to be there for everybody, right? Uh, you have to remember that you do have a family, mm -hmm. and that you need to balance it. Um, otherwise, you're not making the best of your life. Do you have any maybe practical, even applications or structure for yourself that you've, uh, over the years, kind of... Actually, I'm the wrong person to ask for that <laughs> because, I, because uh, whatever structures I've made, uh, the job always came first mm -hmm. and succeeding in the job always came first. And for the last 20 years, I've been in this job here, which uh, basically combines academia with Zionism. Mm -hmm. And it's so much fun it's so much fun and you want to achieve so many things right. um, that you uh, that you can get carried away. Right. You, you can get carried away, so I'm probably not a good example. Uh, although it, it might be an example of, uh, of what your values and hobby were, okay, almost end up being your job. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so, so if, if you're able to find a job like I did here for the last 20 years where your heart takes you, um, that's a good thing. But even if you have a job where your heart takes you, don't forget your family mm -hmm. because you love them too. So yeah. you sometimes have to be reminded by them, by the way, uh, right. to balance it as well. You can get yeah. carried. At the end of the day, it's a team. Uh, I think when you build that family. At the end of right. the day, it's a team. And, uh, even if, and if you seek for, you know, for total, uh, quality in your job, you, 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 you know, you want to be a perfectionist. Okay. You, you have to maybe sacrifice a little bit of the perfectionism in order to also be a perfectionist with your family. So mm -hmm. so I that's a lesson I still need to learn, okay, at my ripe old age. Incredible. Well, Mr. Davis, it's, nice it's, been, a, to you. it's been a pleasure. I've, I've really Thank enjoyed. Thank you very much. It's nice talking to you. I'm going back to the office. I yeah. have a meeting with a very nice person there. Yeah, for sure. We will be wearing masks. We will <laughs> be distancing. And all of you students in the uh, RIS and at IDC who are, who are hearing this podcast, please observe distancing. Please wear your masks. Please don't get involved in large gatherings um, indoors somewhere. Uh, we want you to be protected from this uh, plague. Yeah, to hopefully we'll be coming with a solution soon. We want to fight the plague together. Yeah, exactly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dreamer Talks. I'd love to have you back again next week. So make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review of what you thought of the podcast. I'd really like the input to make this podcast as engaging and entertaining as possible. So once again, a big thank you and I'll see you next week. Thank, thank you, you for, for watching, watching and, and keep on dreaming. Keep on dreaming and keep on trucking.